It's a privilege to be with you. It's the first time that I've been in your your facility, at least. There's numbers of you that I've met before and seen, and so that's um, a joy to be back in connection with some of you and get to learn to know the rest of you. We uh, tried to take care of the three hosteller boys. That was quite a job uh, we had this last six weeks. No, they were fun to have. I had them both, in, all three, in my one class and uh, enjoyed them. Uh, that's really uh, Ben's responsibility, so we left that to him, uh, Brother Zimmerman. So, um, yes, we're looking forward to having uh, the three daughters of James there this coming term. And... Uh, so we're, we feel connected with you, even though we don't know you very well. And it's just a, a blessing to be here. I think it was about two or three years ago when um, Brother James and I were able to share together at the Minister's Week in, um, at SMBI. And it was during that time when um, one of the assignments was given to me was this subject of the beauty of holiness. And I really... Um, began to, to take a whole new res, uh, perspective about holiness that I didn't have before. And so I'd just like to share some of those things with you this these, uh, half a week, a few days here, that um, have been such a blessing to me. Um, tonight we're basically going to have kind of an introduction to the whole subject and then maybe going to more specifics in some of the other evenings as we go through uh, the weekend. Uh, let's see, can we get this thing started here? Which button do I push? Yeah. I'll let Dawson do that. I'll end up shutting it off and then start all over again. <clears throat> there we go, thank you. Separated unto God and the beauty of holiness. I, I think that there's too much of my past. I've thought of holiness as not being connected with beauty. And so it'll be my joy and my responsibility this week to try to convince you that holiness is beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. So um, the... The holiness unto God with the beauty of separation. My primary premise, like I said, is going to be that holiness is beautiful. That uh, one of the things that we, I find with working with young people, uh, whether it's at SMBI or IGO, is whole area of nonconformity and separation and so forth really has a lot of bad press with, with young people. And I think sometimes youth sense our reluctance and uncertainty in dis, dis, uh, discussing guidelines and things that uh, have set us apart. We're kind of peculiar to other evangelical circles around us. Uh, we're different. Maybe even feel a little weird uh, at times. And, and so this whole thing of being separated, it, just, it, it doesn't really appeal to two young people. Um, maybe it's because some of them feel a little bit like I used to. I was always thought of holiness as something that looks pretty sterile, you know, kind of like the emergency room at the hospital, um, where everything was really clean, you know, everything was spotless, you had white walls, you had spotless floors, uh, antiseptic smells from all around the area, um, alcohol, white, white gloves, white clothing, germ-free, hygienic tools, and, you know, sanitary to the ultimate. That was holiness. And, well, as, as necessary as that might be, it didn't really look pretty. It didn't look beautiful. Um, and so it was a little hard for me to get the idea that this, this antiseptically clean condition is beautiful. So I couldn't put those two together. And, you know, it was, it was more drab, kind of boring, um, unappealing, unexciting. 
of course, unless you're in there in the emergency room for some some accident or something, but as far as the environment, the look and so forth, didn't really, had no appeal of beauty. That's not how I would have described an emergency room uh, that it would be beautiful. I thought it was clean, it was holy, it was, you know, sterile, but not beautiful. Well, I would like to, tonight, have you join me, if you would stand, and let's read the, um, this psalm together. As we think about beauty of holiness, Psalm 96, verse 1, let's, sing it to, let's say it together. O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth, sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised, He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and with fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Let's sing this song together, can we? Uh, the sopranos will have the, the next uh, slide, so if you can remember that, you'll take the part uh, on the second part, on the second slide. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of holiness.
There's another song that um, goes along with that same theme. We won't sing this one this evening. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before Him, His glory proclaim. It says, with gold of obedience. Gold is beautiful. Gold is something very attractive. Gold is something we want lots of, right? Yeah, gold, the, with gold of obedience and the incense, the sweet savor, the sweet smell, the incense of lowliness. Kneel and bow, adore him. The Lord is his name. Fear not to enter his presence in poverty, bearing no gifts to present as your own. Bring truth in its beauty and love in its purity. These are the offerings to lay at his throne. Holy, beautiful, incense, truth, beautiful, love, purity. These are the kind of things that... Um, we want to celebrate as a people. We want the Lord to, to be able to show his, the beauty of His holiness through us. You know the Bible, in front of your Bible, mine's getting pretty worn so you can't even see it anymore, but most of your Bibles will say, Holy Bible. Now why does it say that? Why does it say holy, hagios, the word that um, Brother James gave to us? Holy Bible. Why is it holy? It's because this book is not like any other book. There is no other piece of literature on the planet anywhere that compares with this book. It has a divine author. It's set apart from every other written work on the entire planet. Set apart holy, as literature, as an account of history. So is it proper to spell when you're writing out your thesis or your research paper or your, your report in school to spell the word Bible with a small b? No. Because it is the king of all writing. It stands head and shoulders above everything else. It's set apart. It's beautiful. It's proper to spell it with a capital B. Holy God. We don't spell that with a small g. We spell that with a capital G. In Psalm 86, verse 8, it says, There is no other one like you among the gods. And that's a small g. No one like you amongst all the other gods. Amongst the gods, there's none like you. He's unique set apart, completely different than any other so-called God. You know, we put holy things into special places of protection. Something that's set apart, that's different than the normal. That's not just run-of-the-mill. It's not just a plastic imitation. It, when, when it's the real thing, and it has that intrinsic value, you set it apart. We put it in museums. We, want, we put it around, a glass cage around it. I remember being in Egypt and, and seeing King Tut's um, wealth and his casket and his chariot and his jewelry and his shoes and his clothing and all that was behind glass because it's, it's unique. It's set apart. It's not the kind of thing that you're going to wear um, tomorrow. Nobody's going to touch that. It's, it's on special protection, special place, covered so nobody can touch it. They don't want you taking pictures of it. They're afraid that it'll maybe uh, deteriorate the, the uh, gold or something back there. Um, there's just something that is holy is set apart. It's put in a special protection. In Western culture, we have just seen how that Satan, society, culture, sin has attempted to take the things that are beautiful and make them every day. Or to see them as being less than beautiful, less than holy. Here's just a few examples of the decadence that we see in our culture. Abortion and small families. 
are the norm in our culture today. Something that, that God wanted to be a very rich source of beauty and holiness, the family, um, fruitfulness, uh, raising children that are glorifying the Lord as over against this horrible abortion and the destruction of the family. In marriage, God had a tremendous plan uh, in marriage to, to bring two individuals together in a holy matrimony. Why do we call it holy matrimony? Why is it not matrimony? Because it's special. It's, this couple is now set apart from every other couple. This man is no longer available to any woman. This woman is no longer available to any man. They're set apart. It's holy. Set apart from all the rest. That was God's design. But in our culture, we see the breakdown of divorce and remarriage, multiple marriages, and we see now this whole thing of sodomy, uh, just perversions that are coming to what was holy. Even in some of the politics, I'm not a, really into politics. Uh, I just, you know, right now politics is getting trumped, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the, the weakness of leadership that we've seen in the decadence of the West, maybe it's being trumped a little bit now, uh, but as compared to some of the other countries where I can remember when I was in, I think it was 11th grade, we were told that America was the greatest creditor nation in the world. The greatest creditor nation. We were helping out. We had the best economy and so forth all over the world. Today, we're the greatest debtor nation in the world. Something like 19 or 20 trillion dollars. It's hard for me to get my head wrapped around 19 trillion dollars. I don't know if you've ever tried to figure that out. That's a lot of money. It, you figure it out, um, you take dollar bills and you stack them end to end, tight against each other. If you wanted to have, and if those dollar bills were $1,000 bills, not just $1 bills or $100 bills, they'd be $1,000 bills and you stack them tight against each other, you would have a, a stack of $1,000 bills that would go all the way from SMBI to my home in Minnesota. That's how much we're in debt. We have gone from being a creditor nation to the greatest debtor nation in the world. We have despised holiness. And in the result, we have all this kind of chaos. The immodesty, the public undress as compared to the elegance of modesty. I just am so blessed when I'm with your sons and your daughters particularly uh, in the settings I've been in where there's modesty. Um, you know, you go out in the world. We live in a pornographic world. You can't walk outside the doors of your home without it being right in your face. What a joy to see the beauty of holiness in, in clothing. Children. No wonder young people are, yes, young couples are, are kind of shying away from having children because they, they see children who have, uh, have not been disciplined, have not been loved, have not been taken care of, and they see all the pain and trouble and struggle with that, and so they don't want anything to do with it. As over against, children have been some of the greatest blessings in my life that I could ever even imagine. I mean, it's beyond what I was expecting. And I know that's true for many of you. The beauty of holiness shines through in comparison with the ugliness of unholiness. Or maybe our obsession with sports in America. Um, we, we are so sports-oriented as compared to the beauty of hard work ethic. And again, I'm so grateful that God has given Many of you a good background and a, heart, a good work ethic. You know, we could just go on and on. The rude and arrogance um, 
uh, of our culture as over against respect that um, is so beautiful for the aged, for the infirm, for, the, for women. Just the decadence versus beauty. So what we'd like to talk about throughout this week is those, that whole concept of something that's set apart, something that's holy. His holy name. We have tended to devalue what is holy. We have criminally deflated it and replaced it with decadence in, in our culture. But let's not do that with the things that the Bible says are holy. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. His holy name, his unique name, unlike any other name, is what that's really talking about. In Psalm 111, verse 9, he says, He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The name of Jesus, the name of our Father, is something that's holy. And we want to just develop that a little bit more. In, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, it's describing our God. Now again, sometimes we think of God as being robed in some big white robe and and standing there firmly watching us, uh, are you behaving yourself out there today? And if you're not, there's kind of a frown in his face. That's not the way Daniel describes him. He says, his body was also like burl. You know what burl looks like? It's not white. It's beautiful. It's kind of a reddish color. His body was also like burl, and his face was as the appearance of lightning. I don't know about you, but I love to watch lightning. It's fascinating. Last summer we were having my son's wedding and um, uh, a storm was coming up across the lake and just, just to the, um, the, I think it was the south of, of where we were at there. And God was just lighting up that sky with all kinds of lightning while we were enjoying the, the um, reception. And it was like he gave an extra light show. Beautiful. It's fascinating. It, it's just great to watch. It says his body was also like burl and his face was like the appearance of lightning and his eyes like a flame of fire. Lamps of fire, actually, it says there. Uh, that speaks of some warmth. A lamp of fire, uh, fire. And his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass. And you talk about elegance, brass and so forth. There's elegance there. And the voice of his words like a voice of a multitude. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a being that is just hard to put words to, hard to imagine, because we just have to use these things that we've got to try to get an idea. The majesty, the beauty, the power, the intriguing presence of God that he's talking about is holy God. Jesus, the name above every name. Holy name. The Holy Ghost. Now, we don't like ghost stories, right? Most of us, uh, you know, that's kind of scary. But this is a, a Holy Ghost. One that's set apart from all other ghosts. <laughs> and unique, pure, righteous, clean, guileless, as compared to the evil ones. And... So here's the, the Holy Ghost, and then there's the Holy Spirit, which is maybe the back, exactly the same thing. Here in Ephesians it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Again, this set-apart spirit is not an evil spirit. It's not a deceptive spirit. It's not a dark spirit. This is a spirit of light. This is a spirit of holiness. Beautiful. Bible talks about a holy nation. Now we're getting down to involve people here to a, a degree. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Now, I, I was trying to think about that this afternoon. What's a kingdom of preach, preachers? Not uh, priests? Preachers? 
a whole nation of preachers, of priests. What would that be like to live in? I mean, you wouldn't, you'd have trouble figuring out who's going to preach tomorrow morning or Sunday morning. You know, the whole group is a group of preachers. And so uh, a nation of preachers, that's what it's talking about, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a nation of people set apart, different from any other nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. A nation of pastors, a nation of preachers, a nation of spiritual leaders, that's what you are. It's not just James and Keith and the ones who have been ordained here. No, you are all preachers. You are all priests. You're a holy priesthood. Wow. It talks about a holy city. The devil taking them up into the holy city. Now, we assume that was Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Holy city, why was it called holy? Why would Jerusalem be called the holy city? Is it set apart? Is it unique? Is it like no other? Well, it wasn't the biggest and it wasn't necessarily the wealthiest, at least not in all of history, but it's called the holy city. In a sense, it is the most important. It stands distinct from all other cities across the world in its importance to the whole unraveling of, of the salvation message. I don't know if that's a good enough answer for why it's called the holy city, but it, it, Jerusalem is called that as it's set apart from the rest of them. The holy apostles, especially chosen men uh, that, that Jesus chose, um, he gave them special responsibilities. He gave them a special calling. And even in Revelation, he talks about these holy apostles are going to be part of that, uh, the unraveling of the end times. And so they were called holy, holy apostles. This whole word, as Brother James was talking about, hagios, has a, a very special meaning. It means separated and set apart. It has the idea of sacredness, according to Strong's Concordance. Um, the Webster Dictionary says it's entirely devoted in the sense of, it's not just a, a piece of it, but this, this whole thing is entirely devoted. It's set apart by and for God, according to um, another um, internet source. Different from the world because it is like the Lord. Different from the world because it's like the Lord. And another word that really helps us, I think it's a Latin word, is sui generis. Sui generis has the idea of being of its own kind, of its own genetic background. It has a DNA that's different than everything else around it. A unique DNA, a unique genetic code. And so that whole idea of being holy is that it's just of a different kind, set apart. And the Bible is clear full of these words. Um, we have the holy priesthood. We have the holy calling. We have the holy conversation, the holy child, the holy ground that Moses is standing on, the holy law, the holy men, the holy scriptures, the holy women, holy uh, angels, holy commandment, holy temple, holy mount, holy brethren, holy covenant, holy faith, holy hands, holy place, holy kiss, holy um, prophets, holy nation, holy oil. All of these things are words in the scripture that are talking about this being set apart, dedicated for special use, a, a different genetic code, as it were, 
for each of these things. I'd like to just look at a couple of scriptures in, in Ezekiel. Um, we won't take the time for you to turn to them, so you can just listen. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 down through 23, it's talking about how precious, how God is defending His name as being holy. Listen, he says, And whenever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. Israel was not being diligent to protect the name of, of uh, the Lord. It says, And whenever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, These are the Lord's people. These are the Lord's people. And yet, they have to leave their land. Something's happened. These people are being punished. They have to leave their land. And that is affecting the way the people see the name of the Lord. Verse 21, And I had a concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am doing these great things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign God. Because when, or when I will show myself holy through you in their eyes. He's even going to use the people who were defaming his name. He's going to take them away because God is so concerned that we see him as holy that he's going to, by taking them away, you can show the nations, I'm still a holy God, even if Israel is not going to show that holiness. He is very concerned about this issue. In chapter 39, just a couple chapters later, again he says, I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profane. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. I am the Holy One of Israel. Later on in that same chapter, again he says, Therefore this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will now bring back Jacob from captivity and I will have compassion on all the people of Israel and I will be zealous for my holy name. So after this punishment is happening he's going to bring them back but they're going to be a different people that are going to show and reveal the holiness of God's name. When I have brought them back from the nations and gathered them from the countries of their enemies I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many nations. Brothers and sisters, God is very concerned that our lives reflect that He's holy. And if we don't do that, He will dis, dis, uh, dismiss us because He will only bless those that see His name as holy, set apart, different. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Beauty has intrinsic value. You don't have to try to convince somebody to buy something beautiful as over against the very same thing that's ugly. They're going to buy the beautiful one. There's inward attractiveness of this holiness. Psalm 29, verse 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In 2 Chronicles 20. And when He had consulted with the people, He appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. Now, if you get the context of this, this is really interesting. This shows the power of beauty. The power of beauty. It 
the, the, the beauty of holiness, whenever you see the beauty of holiness, it will amplify the ugliness of evil. When it's around, when the beauty of holiness is around, it's going to amplify the ugliness of the evil society and of the people around him. And what's interesting is, as uh, Israel was, was going to, they were, they were afraid of their enemy, and God said, uh, well, let's let me read part of it. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, They rose early in the morning, went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa, they went forth, and Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and all ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall establish, shall be established. Believe this prophet, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers. <laughs> the army is going to go out with singers in front. Instead of tanks and guns and so forth, this one is going out with singers in front. And why are they sending them in front? Because they should praise the beauty of holiness as they go out. They're going to praise the beauty of holiness. Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And so they came out, and for the children of Ammon and Moab, um, they utterly destroyed them. And you, you remember the story. They, they came out singing about the beauty of holiness. And when they got there to where all the people were, here the, uh, the Lord had sent um, a, a curse on them, and they, they were... It killed all the enemy, and it took them three days just to haul out all the booty. <laughs> and all they did was sing about the holiness, the beauty of the holiness of the Lord. They didn't do any fighting. The beauty of holiness conquered the enemy. <clears throat> Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, the beauty of Jesus being seen through your life, my life, the holiness of Christ. In Second Corinthians chapter seven, it says, "Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness." Ah, oh, that's what we're doing today, brothers and sisters. You've already been born again. You're already a holy people. But your holiness is not complete. It's being perfected every day as you walk with Him. You're allowing Him to continue to build holiness. Holiness is not stagnant. It's something that's dynamic. It continues to change us as we go forward. And so He's perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 14 through 16, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Brother was reading that. In all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Satan and the world want to convince us that holiness is boring. That holiness is dull. That holiness is unattractive. That the, the fruit on the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's where beauty is, that's where the excitement is, that's where there's, there's all kinds of fun. That's what the, Satan and the world want to convince us of, that it's captivating. The truth is that unholiness leads to broken relationships, leads to pain, leads to fear, disappointment, anger, bitterness, apathy. It's holiness that gets more profound, more beautiful, more refreshing, more captivating, the farther it goes. I was reading a book by Gerald McDermott. The name of it was Seeing God. I recommend it to you if you ever get an opportunity to pick up the book. And he had this to say, which has been kind of a, the, the seedbed of thought for me in this whole area of... Um, uh, my passion for learning about holiness in my own life and sharing that with young people, sharing that with congregations like yours. This is the statement. He said, if I had to summarize in one statement what distinguishes true from false spirituality, it would be this. The unregenerate never see the beauty of holiness. They may see and have some understanding of God's holiness, but they never see it as beautiful. It's only as we see holiness being beautiful that we're going to be attracted to it. 
If holiness looks to us like it used to look to me in uh, an ER room that's all white and sterile, we're not going to be attracted to it. But when we see holiness as being beautiful, we will kick down anything that keeps us from having that beauty. Our people must be captivated by the beauty of holiness or what we stand for will degenerate into a maintenance of a tradition. And it'll lose. Ah, it'll still be, you know, kind of interesting. We'll still have buses going through our communities to see how people used to live a hundred years ago. But it will have lost its power. Beauty captivates. Tradition makes curious. The word beauty is not found in the King James New Testament. So we can ask the question, is there no New Testament doctrine in relation to beauty? Should we flee beauty? And if we do, where do we go? How do we flee from it? Is the best way to handle beauty to diminish it or to dismiss it? Beauty is the most powerful philosophical ascetic proof that God is good. Did you hear that? Beauty is the most powerful philosophical ascetic proof that God is good. You know, in a world of such decadence that we see around us as uh, the fallenness of, of the world, the beauty of our Creator keeps bursting through all over, here and there. There is just no logic to the presence of beauty if God is not good. There really isn't. Think through that. Why didn't God make everything grayscale? He gave us color. Why did he make it everything the same taste with the same amount of nutritional value? You know, that would have been a whole lot easier, at least from man's perspective. But he gave us all kinds of tastes. There is no logic to the presence of beauty if God is not good. I'd just like to, to give you what I feel like eight different points about beauty. Um, first of all, Beauty is powerful. It is powerful. It compels our emotions to respond before our mind even gets in gear. Your emotions begin going after this beauty before your mind. You know, that's why David fell into sin. He saw the beauty of Bathsheba and his emotions began going before the law of the mind started telling him, No, David. That's not where you're supposed to be. It's so powerful. It's very powerful. Beauty, beauty grabs us. In the day shall the, the branch of the Lord, the beautiful and glorious, I'm sorry, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Beauty is, is powerful. It's compelling. It's drawing. Secondly, beauty is inviting. Psalm 90 verse 17 says, Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. You know, beauty makes you want to stop and drink it in. You just want to look. You want to watch. You want to see it. It's very compelling. It's just inviting. Beauty also denotes victory. Isaiah 58, it says, In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. It denotes victory. It counters 
the decadence of our fallen world. It says there's hope out there. There's something that's still beautiful, even in the decadence that we have in our world today. It even conquers, in a sense, the decadence of our world. The beauty, the power, the inviting, the victory. Beauty is also nourishing. It warms the soul with a promise. It gives us a sense of hope in the decadence that we're in. It, there's a sense of joy and anticipation. Isaiah 51, verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. It gives us, it nourishes us. It gives us strength in times of weakness, in times of distress. Beauty is very um, therapeutic in those times. It's one of the powerful things that God uses. It, it's comforting. We mentioned that. Why do we often have flowers at a funeral? What's the association? We have flowers at funerals. We have flowers at crash sites where somebody died along the highway. We have, when we went to um, the ground zero right after the 911, they had flowers all the way around there. Why do we take flowers? It's because beauty is comforting in the hours of pain. Isaiah 35 verses 1 and then part of verse 8. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose, and a highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called, what? Way of holiness. It's comforting in those times. You know, some of you young people, you know this next one, beauty communicates love. It communicates love. Song of Solomon. He brought me to his banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Stay with me, flagons. Comfort me with apples for I am sick with love. And we, when we read it, sick of love, that sounds like I don't want anymore. But no, that's not really what it means. It's sick with love, okay? Love sick. Um, you know when I go on an anniversary with my wife, I try to pick out a place that's got some beauty to it. I don't go to the city dump. <laughs> you know, we don't go there on an anniversary. We, we go to a place that's got some beauty because it communicates love. Beauty is inspiring. It really is. Psalm 29 verse 9 says, The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf. I mean... The, uh, the, the female deer, the doe, go into labor and get so excited about the holiness of God. Uh, so if you don't want to have any young fawns, then don't, you know, the, the beauty can't be around. It says, it makes the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. There's adventure here, discovering the forest. And his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Beauty is inspiring. It ignites creativity. That of an, an engineer's bridge, an artist's brush, a hymnist's song, a seamstress needle. Beauty inspires. Beauty pushes us. And maybe one of the biggest ones is beauty is transcendent. It speaks about something that's bigger than us. Yes, it draws the mind and the heart toward heaven. In Psalm 8, verse 3, it says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Beauty reminds us of Eden. There's something of the distant memory of Eden, way back in our genetic background there, way back to Adam and Eve, that just feels that sense of rest in beauty. And it also points forward to the landscape of heaven. 
Beauty takes us both directions. You know, this week we want to connect beauty and holiness into a powerful doctrine that can transform the way that you and I live in our churches as a non-conformed people set apart for holiness in the beauty of holiness. Beauty doesn't come by accident. Beauty comes from patterns, curves, colors, borders, brightness, contrast, smoothness, purity. It's by design. You know, evolution has no random mechanism to explain how beauty could evolve from, from a, a, a gray mass. Has no explanation for that. The earth, though, is dominated primarily by blues and greens, trees, grass, and so forth, and sky, oceans. Both are restful colors, known to be restful colors. Yet there's wonderful contrast that God puts in there because the green becomes green and blue become kind of the background for flowers that are red and yellow and orange and bright colors. Beauty. There's just no explanation, no logical explanation for beauty if our Creator isn't good. Why did He make the peacock's feathers so beautiful, so ornate, so special, so perfect? No function. At least man has not found any function for all the colors that we see in bird life. No function but beauty. God just delighted to make them pretty. It's interesting to me, Charles Darwin said this. This is after he had developed his whole theory of evolution and so forth. He said, the sight of a feather in a peacock's tail, whenever I gaze at it, makes me sick. He can't figure that one out. And he gets sick. Why the beauty? <clears throat> Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue, Christ's eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am His and He is mine. Since I know, as now I know, he, I am His and He is mine. The beauty that God has around us. Sing with me. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad, built the lofty skies. I sing the Glory is long and 
pure beauty of holiness versus the vain beauty of unholiness. Just a few thoughts yet before we close tonight. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and yet hath no sorrow with it. You know, the idea in First Timothy is that the love of money is the root of all evil. It's going to destroy us. There's not beauty in the love of money. There's actually beauty in the giving of money. Giving of our blessings to those around us. The, <clears throat> the um, pure beauty of holiness is in relation to Boaz marrying Ruth as compared to David marrying Bathsheba. You know, both Boaz and David experienced the beauty of intimacy with a woman. Boaz, though, his intimacy with his wife was with patience, with character, with preparation, and with sacrifice. Whereas David's was impulsive, adultery, murder, and death of a son. Which is beautiful? Which is loving? Which is nourishing? Or take the experience of Joseph forgiving his brothers and compare that with Absalom avenging his brother. Both of these men experienced the beauty of rulership. Joseph, through patience, hardship, betrayal, and forgiveness. But Absalom, through bitterness, murder, deceit, and incest. Which is beautiful? Which is captivating? Which is victorious? Or in fathering, the fathering of Jehonadab as compared to the fathering of Jehu. <coughs> Jehonadab's fathering was characterized by 300 years of faithfulness in the generations that followed him. He had a national message of warning for the people of Israel. His family was unified and charactered as compared to Jehu, who also had the blessing of leadership. But while he cleansed Israel initially from, from Baal worship, it says of him that in the end of his life he took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. He had four apostate descendants that came to the throne, and each one of those four, the scripture says, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Israel went into captivity as a result of Jehu's um, descendants' leadership. Which is beautiful, which is captivating, which is victorious. Saving grace, as someone said, imparts fear of God. Instead of hardening the heart, saving grace softens the heart. Christians find that the love of God in Christ is so attractive, so beautiful, that they cannot help wanting to serve Him. There is splendor, a beauty about God and His ways that lures human beings to Him. That's my prayer, that we, as we see the beauty of God's holiness, as we look at that, as we think about it, as you study it, as you read about it in Scripture, you will be compelled by an inner hungering and thirsting after the beauty of holiness that continues to transform us into more and more holiness, more and more beauty, so that the world can see the ugliness of the unholy. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you guide us throughout this week. We thank you for making our world beautiful, not because of who we are, but because of what you've done in us and what you are continuing to do in us. And even as it breaks through in all the different kinds of ascetic ways around us, you just, you've set us in, in places of beauty. But Lord, we, we want others to see that the beauty that resides in this congregation comes not from them, but from you. You show the world how beautiful you are through these people as they 
as they live out your life in this community. Lord, you've placed them here in a very special place here in, in this part of the nation, this part of Indiana, this part of, of the um, uh, community so that the beauty of your holiness would be seen through them. So Lord, I pray that you just help us to discover what that means and how to live that out for your glory. In Jesus' name.